Film Society of Lincoln Center. You're listening to The Close-Up. This week we're sharing a Q&A from opening night of Burning, Li Cheng Dong's masterful, haunting new drama now playing here at the Film Society. The film was a main slate selection in this year's New York Film Festival, where it was a favorite among critics and audiences alike. After the packed screening in our Walter Reed Theater, the film's star, Steven Yoon, joined us to discuss the freedom of working with Li Cheng Dong, the loneliness captured in the film, the depiction of class divide, and more. Let's go now to the conversation. So I'd love to just start with, you know, were you familiar with Li Cheng Dong's work before this film, and how did you meet him and kind of get involved in the project? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of director Lee's. Um, I found uh, his first works for me that I found was poetry. And um, ever since I watched that, it like uh, blew my, uh, my head off. And so I, uh, and then I went back and watched his other, other works and um, those also did the same thing. And so um, when I was in Korea doing press for Okja, uh, one of the press um, reporters asked me, who do you want to work with next? And I was like, uh, Yi Chang-dong. And I just kind of said it, not ever thinking that it would happen. And then um, like a couple months later, I got a call from director Bong and he was like, director Lee wants to talk to you uh, and he wants you to maybe be in his new film, which was insane. And I was very uh, fortuitous because I was actually heading to Korea anyway. So. Um, yeah, and we met, talked about the character for a little bit, um, for three days actually, and then, uh, uh, then this film. And were you familiar with the Murakami story that it's based on? Was that a part of the process um, in preparing for the character? What did you What did you do to prepare? I guess, oh, um, so yeah, uh, I, I'm a Murakami fan as well. I've read a lot of his uh, his works. Um, I hadn't read Bar- Barn Burning before. Um, but when I got the phone call, I read it immediately, um, and it's like just six pages. Um, it's it's really great. But what was really wonderful after reading it was just this feeling that was left. Um, this it was mysterious. It was empty, dark, hollow, um, but also beautiful. This kind of feeling that left after I read that story, and I really understood maybe how to create someone like Ben. Um, And so when I went to go meet him, um, before he gave me the script, I kind of just pitched this idea of who I thought Ben was and um, uh, kind of the emptiness that he lives with and um, the way that he views the world. And um, we talked about that. So um, as we got into production and really prepping for this film, um, in the original script, there was, there was mention of how Ben uh, is a reader of Nietzsche, and he, you know, his his book that he really enjoys is uh, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, where it speaks about the Ubermensch and um, things like that. So I studied that, and then you find little peripheral books and other philosophers that kind of build his worldview. So Ben, um, the way that we built him wasn't just this way of being uh, uh, physically those things kind of came afterwards, but we really tried to understand why this person continues to exist. Um, why does he get up every day? Um, 
And so it was from there that we kind of uh, added layers, and it was really, it was really fun. He's compared to Gatsby at one point in the film. Were there other characters from films or other art forms that kind of inspired your performance or the character itself? Mm, um, yeah, I think, I think the Gatsby thing is definitely like the first layer in. Um, and then, um, you know, there wasn't any necessarily explicit things that this character was based off of, but, um, you know, you, you might read something like uh, Martin McDonough's Pillow Man and get some ideas on how this person functions, uh, maybe what his morals are. Um, uh, it's it's kind of like picking bits and pieces from people. And, um, you know, I was even reading Alan Watts so that it wasn't so dark. Um, but, you know, you kind of like pick kernels here and there uh, that kind of feeds this... Um, feeling of Ben, um, it's hard to explain. It was, it was kind of also simultaneously like I was uh, also in that mindset um, as well, uh, luckily, I think. Um, so that, that's kind of how we came to Ben. Um, everybody thinks I'm a crazy person right now, so. <clears throat> and I've read that you felt that your Americanness was very important to the character. Could you speak to that a little bit as well? Yeah, um, I think that was kind of the uh, really uh, wonderful choice that director Lee made was being very cognizant of what I and who I am, uh, which is a very westernized uh, American person. And for me to come over there and play a fully Korean person, a native in that way, uh, required us to really tackle the language to be very specific and proficient. And, um, uh, you know, we would talk about inflection and intonation and the flatness of the speak, but also the precision of how he pronounces things. And so uh, we worked on those physicalities, but we never washed away my Americanness. Um, which isn't to imply that Ben is American, but it's kind of to imply more of a cosmopolitan way of being. Just He's just not held down by the same social systems that the country or the people that are native to Korea might normally be. Um, whether it's the wealth or the knowledge that he's accrued, that kind of lets him float above these things. Um, who knows? Uh, but those are definitely things that we worked on of just making sure that, um, you know, even his hair, isn't necessarily, you know, my hair, isn't necessarily a Korean style of hair. Um, so it's those things, the way that I move, um, probably the things that I've eaten uh, change the way that I look. Um, so we never really tried to hide those things. His body language is very American. Yes. Kind yeah. of listless. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so then what was the process of filming in Korea as a Korean American like? Um, it was really wonderful. I mean, for me, uh, it was pretty remarkable of an experience um, just to be able to, I guess, uh, dive fully into a character where maybe I'm not necessarily thinking of like, what is this, what is the way that I look say about this character in this space? Rather, you're just looking at what creates this character, period. And so that was really refreshing. Um, but then also, um, it wasn't a very Korean way of working, necessarily. I mean, there were Korean cultural parameters and the way that we talked obviously wasn't Korean. Um, 
but filmmaking also has become so you know uh, especially in Korea has has gotten to this point now where it's almost indistinguishable in this in the way that sets function um, but culturally you know with uh, director Lee it felt like I was working with a very independent um, specific auteur that has its own unique style that nobody else has and so I never felt as if I was working in some overt Korean project it kind of just felt really natural and um, no real difference than other sets that I've been on and what is Lee's specific style of filmmaking like I read or I heard you say in the last Q&A that he um, edits as you film mm. and did that inform how you acted in future scenes or um, no I think I think um, his live editing um, his editing is not as live as director Bong's was director Bong was like here you want to watch the movie up until this point and he could be like here it is and we're like that's insane this um, wasn't chronological it, this was not chronological um, but it was that we would watch playback um, and I really hate watching playback, but p watching playback in this context was very specific. And it felt, it had this quality of not like, look what you're doing wrong here. It was more like, we haven't found it yet, so like let's watch it together so that we can collaboratively find the thing. It never felt like I was trying to please Director Lee. It felt always like, hey, 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 I don't know either. Like, what's the answer? Um, and uh, that was really fun. Um, but also, I guess the best way to describe his style that, you know, if I really did know his style, um, that'd be awesome because he's great at what he does. Um, but it's kind of like his ability to hold a stopwatch and be technically sound, but at the same time look out at the sky and just say, like, whatever happens is whatever happens. He has a wonderful balance of just letting go. Um, so many instances of, of moments where, like, we had to pivot and, like, it turns out even more beautiful. And I know that's, like, kind of filmmaking in general, but, you know, he'd come, we'd, we'd do that, uh, the marijuana scene, the weed scene, and I remember we were shooting it. Uh, that took, like, two to almost three weeks to shoot that scene um, scattered because we would prep for four hours and then shoot for 45 minutes for magic hour. And, um, and it was like maybe like 35 degrees. So we pretended like it wasn't, which was <laughs> horrible. Uh, um, but there's like takes of me just like shivering. It's pretty good. Um, but you know, it's it's like it's like uh, we'll do a take, and he'll be like, "That was great," and then he'll be like, "Okay," and then we will end the day, and then that night he'll call us and be like, "I want to do it again," and you're like, well, "You know, it's structurally, it's that's okay." okay. Uh, so we show up, we do it again, but this time a flock of geese reflects off the glass, and you're like, "Okay," <laughs> like yeah, you know, like that's the stuff that he's always just open and ready for. But he also is holding a stopwatch. So he has this really wonderful balance that I feel like is, I guess, wisdom accrued over time. Um, yeah. Very precise, but loose, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to open it up to the audience. I believe we have mic runners. What was the uh, rehearsal process like, and how many takes did you do for that amazing murder sequence, which seemed to go 
keep <laughs> developing on and on. It's a fun, amazing piece of filming. Um, rehearsal was pretty light. We did a lot of um, like language rehearsal just for, for me to get the the the, the language correct. Um, but we never, as actors, met outside uh, to do anything. We always just kind of showed up on the day, and that's a testament to the other actors as well. Like they're just really professional, and they showed up, and you know, it was like living out the the moment. Um, with the last sequence. Uh, there's an awesome story about that where um, we were actually supposed to shoot that in December and I was supposed to shoot that and then leave and be done with the movie. Um, and my family was out there with me and uh, the location got rained out and so we had to push it a week and um, my wife told me that if we stayed there longer that she would kill me. So... Um, <laughs> We left, and came, I came back three weeks later, and we shot that in a different location, and that was the only day that it ever snowed. And that's what I mean, like, what the heck? Uh, so um, that sequence we actually only shot three times. The first one we messed up, and then the second one we messed up, and then the third one was that one. Was the embrace that came of that, was that there from the beginning or did that de develop? That was scripted, that was scripted. And it wasn't, um, it was cool because it was scripted and we all knew it and we talked about it from the very beginning and we kind of all like built to that embrace. Uh, so yeah, that was very purposeful. I just want to say, because uh, I know he's on the cultural blacklist now, but there's a scene in LA Confidential where, sorry, somebody dies. Um, Maybe you know this, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but there's incredible, you see the, the life going on. I felt that from your performance oh, thanks, very man. tangibly. I've died many times, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a weird, weird life. Hi. Hi. I think that uh, director Lee made a really universal movie with like a lot of things that, themes that people can connect to. Um, what would you say is your main takeaway from the movie? Um, my main, my personal main takeaway, because um, it's it's really just my personal take, uh, is I really enjoyed this feeling of loneliness that kind of is very pervasive through the film. It's three people that are, you know, in one of the most busiest uh, cities in the world, um, surrounded by people constantly, and they're incredibly alone, all three. Um, and, you know, for me, what really uh, excited me about this project was it was Director Lee taking a chance and uh, taking a moment to tell a story about the youth. And, um, and it wasn't in this way where it was like, this is what you are. It was rather, I understand and I uh, empathize with your, your plight. And, um, and there's also this really true aspect of loneliness that is pervasive through, I feel like, our modern society now. Um, we feel connected and we're in this room full of people, but we also feel incredibly alone. And um, I think, to me, the feeling that feels universal is that I think everyone can really um, understand that feeling. Um, but there's a... I don't know if this is meant to be a tale or teach anybody, but I think it's just to 
fit and sit in that dissonance, just to sit in that uncomfort of being alone and be okay with that. Um, and I think that's kind of, um, for me, the personal lesson that I pulled away from this experience in this film. Thanks. Thanks. Hi. Um, I know that with a lot of Murakami books and books, I think, that are written in different languages in general, sometimes things can get lost in translation when they're translated to English. Did you think that there was anything lost in translation with the film, or do you think it did a pretty good job at kind of transcending the boundaries of language? Do you mean as it was being adapted from Murakami, or do you mean as it was being adapted to subtitles? Uh, to subtitles. Um, uh, uh, I think Jason did a pretty good job. Um, I think translating is very hard, um, but it's also very important. Um, I think, uh, you know, for a Korean speaking, I don't know if there's any central themes or large ideas that are necessarily missed. Um, in some ways, there's untranslatable things too that only you can really know culturally if you're from there or of it. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I love how it's at the end like super big. It's almost like he wrote it himself. It was like subtitles by Jason Yu. Uh, but Jason's a cool dude, and I think he did a good job. Um, I, I really was struck by two lines that the character had. One was, I'm jealous of you. And the other was, I've never cried. And I was wondering if the director was going to just see what happened in that last scene. And then I wondered if the character was going to have one tear, which would have been melodramatic, but it also could have been very organic. So I just wondered what you worked on with those two That's themes. That's a cool question. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I remember that day, and I remember talking to the director, Lee, and me saying, should I cry here? <laughs> and uh, he would just go, hmm. <laughs> and he said in Korean, like, you know, if it happens, it happens. And um, it happened, and it didn't feel like it was the right time to happen. Um, so that's the version you saw. But I agree with you, I had that thought as well. Um, and then the other line of just jealousy, uh, yeah, I think it kind of speaks to how othered and alienated he is, even in his privilege. Um, he's so privileged that he's never been jealous. That's crazy. He's never felt anything. Um, yeah, that's, that's Ben. <laughs> Uh, still trying to process all that. Um, so I'm wondering, because uh, from the moments that the short story section ended and the car uh, the film carries over much more, you know, much beyond what the short story, you know, was. And I was wondering um, if you believe that Ben is actually a psychopathic serial killer, and if you did act that way, if that's the case. Um, is there anything particular that you um, incorporated into your acting um, or if there's any specific mindset or a headspace that you get into to act that character? Um, so uh, another part of the freedom that Director Lee gave me was in building this character, he uh, kind of gave the reins to me and said, you understand this character better than I do. Um, even kind of from the beginning outset, uh, which was really cool to get that validation. And um, he also said, um, there's a choice that this character has to be. There's a choice in which this character has to be. And 
you are the person that is going to make that choice for yourself. Um, and so I did. And then Director Lee, when we finished, he asked me uh, what I made, what my choice was, and I told him I wasn't going to tell him. <laughs> so I'm the only person that knows. Um, and I think it's appropriate that way um, because it's almost not that important whether he is or not. I feel like it's really, uh, I feel like the film attempts to reflect back our perception of Ben and our understanding of the mysteries of life. Um, and, you know, this is not just to get you guys to watch it again, but really, um, <laughs> I promise, uh, Ben kind of changes when you watch it two times and then three times, and then uh, four times if you want to. Um, uh, but he morphs and he changes um, because it kind of ref this film kind of reflects back to us about how we determine um, our choices and how we perceive things. So that's a vague answer to your question. But please go see it two times. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Steven. This is uh, my second time watching. Oh, cool. Uh, Thanks. So on my second time watching, what really struck me was I was um, I paid a lot of attention to your character's relationship with UIN, and I thought it was this amazing balance between, you know, it's it sort of there is a there isn't like an alpha male battle sort of going on in the most passive aggressive sort of way, but at the same time, Ben's character also has such kindness towards him, and and and, and there's and you can feel a sense of genuine empathy between uh, coming from Ben. So I, want, I wanted to ask you about what it was like working with you and, and maintaining the balance between those two sides of that relationship. Um, working with Yuan was awesome. He's a phenomenal talent. Um, he's a very smart person. Uh, and he's also very deep. Um, he's, his emotion runs very, very deep. Um, and what was really cool was the natural nature of Ben and Jongsu's relationship also kind of mirrored our natural relationship. Um, Yuan and myself actually didn't meet until Ben and Jongsu met for the first time. Um, that was our first day together. And then, um, you know, you kind of play, I don't know you that well, as, and so we're being professional, um, we're just working together. And then over time, you know, you're going through an experience like this, um, you kind of open up and then all of a sudden you're good friends. And so um, I feel like the timing of when we started to actually hang out in Korea together uh, mirrored a lot of the sequence of how it was all going. Uh, I remember talking to him about halfway through production when we started to, you know, hang out as friends outside of, of work, um, I was like, man, I wish you would have called me sooner. I was so lonely. Um, because I was. I was just locked in my hotel room all day unless I was working, and I really didn't pop out too much. And if I walked around, I just kind of strolled, and then I came back. And so I was kind of in this western glass tower on the top of, like, Namsan and just isolated. Um, and then when I started to become more integrated into, you know, seeing and hanging out with uh, Jongsa and Ayin, um, it kind of was perfect in that way as Ben was kind of weaving in and out of their lives as well. So, um, yeah, he's great. Thank you, Stephen, for taking the time to come to Q&A oh, tonight. Oh, thanks for coming yeah. to watch this. Um, so this may or may not apply to Burning, since I think someone said previously it does have a very universal appeal. But I was wondering, um, as a Korean-American, 
Is there anything you take into account differently when you're looking at roles um, that may be more Korean-centric versus roles that might be more catered towards the States or America? Uh, basically, I'm asking because I'm just curious about how your, the cultural heritage kind of comes into play when you're an actor and you want to tell different kinds of stories, but obviously you have two, two worlds that you come from. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think I'm kind of still working through that question for myself um, as I am more aware of the country that I was born in, um, but also am I, as I become more aware of even just life in general, of what it means to be a human being. Um, I think that conversation of, of repping your culture really is um, brighter and a larger conversation here. And it's not to say that Koreans don't rep their culture, but when they're inside, they're not thinking about that. They're just thinking about how to live and be themselves. And so, you know, I don't have a specific mandate to work in Korea. Uh, if anything, I've just gotten really lucky that both of these projects were able to use me naturally and organically and effectively to play within the, that framework. Um, I don't think I can just enter into Korean cinema and just like work. Um, maybe I could, but I feel like it'd be forced. Uh, so these I look at as kind of anomalies. And um, I'm lucky that, you know, my Korean heritage helped me get these opportunities and my understanding of the culture helped me get these opportunities. Um, if anything, I've just become more, made more aware that what I'm actually looking for is to play a human being um, and not something larger than me, not, uh, um, uh, a mandate for diversity or not a, um, a theme or a, a plot device or um, color. Um, I'm just playing a human. And all those things are obviously important because these are the conversations that we're having in our country and we need to address these things because not everybody has the, the same understanding. Um, so I understand that, um, but I think for me as an artist or attempting to do uh, and make things, um, I'm really just kind of looking for things that express um, something that I feel a kinship to or a connection to. And I think the conversation of being a Korean person or looking the way that I look is something that I just am and I carry with me and I can't change that and nor do I want to change that. Um, and uh, I think this one was a particular experience where I can play a wealthy, um, maybe psychopath, and not have it be like, oh, that's an Asian wealthy psychopath. <laughs> um, she's just a wealthy psychopath. Um, and I think that's where hopefully we all are moving towards, but I understand that the conversation needs to um, you know, keep evolving. Thank you. Hi. Um, I just finished reading Pachinko, so I like really couldn't help but notice the character's name, Ben, being like the only Western name in the movie. Um, so like, totally aside from your acting choices, like what do you make of that about the character? Mm. Um, I think that's a common thing nowadays when you go to Korea. Um, there are actually a lot of younger kids that actually use Western names. Um, that is more of a call to the cosmopolitan nature of the world. Um, if you look at Seoul, you know, I know that we're separated by oceans and cultural boundaries and barriers, but, um, you know, 
the cool thing about traveling is like when you land at that place, once you can wipe away the glaze of, I think, like the otherness and just kind of sit down and be with people, you realize they're all the same. <laughs> we're all the same, you know? Um, they're all, we're all kind of, we all have the same humanness about us. And so with Ben, it wasn't necessarily anything that altered who he was, uh, specifically at his core, but maybe it was a more indicative of like, the fact that this person might be traveled, um, that he has touched the Western world, that he is knowledgeable about worldly global things, um, and he chooses to use Ben as his name. And um, it's almost a freedom that he himself has with that. So which director would you like to work with next? <laughs> oh man, um, I, I can't put that out there. I feel, like, I feel like I got too many of those wishes fulfilled. It's gonna be like monkey paw stuff or something like that. Well, thank you so yeah, much for thank being you. here. thank you. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you so much for watching this film. I, if you enjoyed it, please tell your friends. And if you don't get it, maybe watch it one more time. Thank you. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>